What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the movies Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and Emily the Criminal. First, let's talk about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Here's a quick synopsis. After losing his son Carlo, a devastated woodcarver Geppetto builds a boy out of wood who magically comes to life. The film stars David Bradley, Ewan McGregor, Gregory Mann, Ron Perlman, Tilda Swindon, Finn Wolfhard, Christoph Waltz, and Standout performances, there is some very good voice work done in this movie, and the first one that stood out to me is from David Bradley, the voice of Geppetto, who as an actor is best known for playing Argus Filch in the Harry Potter films. Bradley has previously worked with Del Toro on the animated series Wizard's Tale of Arcadia, and he proved to be the perfect Geppetto for this film. Bradley will next appear in Dan Levy's directorial debut, Good Grief, alongside Levy, Ruth Nega, Himesh Patel, and Ewan McGregor is one of my favorite actors and has done a bit of voice acting in the past on the animated movies Robots and was the voice of Lumiere in Disney's live action Beauty and the Beast. I loved him in this movie as Sebastian the Cricket. He's brilliant as both the narrator and the comedian. All in all, McGregor has had a fantastic 2022. I thought he was really good returning to the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the show Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. I thought he was brilliant on that show, and I thought he was the best part about Guillermo del Toro's and finally, I love Tilda Swinton in this. She continues to routinely play multiple roles in movies. She previously had done it in the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar, Bong Joon-ho's Okja, and again in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, where she voices the characters Wood Sprite and Death. Swinton's upcoming projects include Asteroid City, her fifth movie with director Wes Anderson, and The Killer with my her second movie with Dick. Guillermo del Toro is thought of as one of the best filmmakers working today. He's won an Oscar for The Shape of Water, so one might think another adaptation of Pinocchio would be beneath him. But what's so impressive to me about del Toro is he is able to put his own personal stamp on a timeless story that's been told over and over again. He adds a mystical and somewhat dark element to the story that feels related to his past works like Crimson Peak or Night. Mare Alley. It never feels like he's doing a project to cash in, like he is fully invested in telling his version of the story Pinocchio. Del Toro is set to be an executive producer and co-screenwriter of Disney's upcoming Haunted Mansion movie, which makes me intrigued by that movie and the fact that the cast includes Lakeith Stanfield and Owen Wilson. Now, when I grew up, they did a really bad version of the Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy, which was a bomb. But with Del Toro involved in this new project, it has me interested to see if they could make something out of that movie. That's another thing that's interesting about Del Toro. He is an auteur filmmaker, but he also makes big movies for the studios like Pacific Rim. He was once going to direct the Hobbit movies before Peter Jackson took over. He made the Hellboy films. Like, he's an auteur, but he also makes big blockbusters as 
as well. The man has made both a Blade movie and the Hellboy films. And he was also doing it before it was a fad and everyone was doing it. So let's talk about the fact that there was not one but two Pinocchio movies in 2022. The first one being a Disney Plus version directed by the great Robert Zemeckis, who himself is a great filmmaker. That movie did not work whatsoever. And for me, the biggest difference is the look of both movies. Zemeckis's Pinocchio is a CGI mess. It feels, pardon my pun, lifeless. While Del Toro's is stop motion animation, some of what I think are the best animated films are stop motion animation. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, Chicken Run, Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of the Dogs, and my personal favorite, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is a great addition to it. It just looks a thousand times better as an animated movie than as a movie with Tom Hanks pretending something is there when it clearly isn't. I also think you have to point out that Zemeckis' version was made for Disney and that del Toro got to make a movie for Netflix and it's clear that Disney wanted to make a more family friendly version of Pinocchio than Del Toro's version of Pinocchio. For example Guillermo Del Toro's version of the character of Geppetto is able to really explore his grief and the relationship between fathers and sons while the version of Zemeckis' Geppetto, they quickly glide over the fact that he lost his son. When watching Zemeckis' version of the movie you just wanted it to come to an end with Del Toro's version. You wanted it to keep going. It didn't feel long at all. That's the difference. But again, I think the main difference was the look of the movies. I could not look at Zemeckis's Pinocchio without grimacing. But with Del Toro's, it was gorgeous. You can't deny how good looking this movie is. Also, Del Toro's Pinocchio has a lot to say about life itself. Most adaptations of this story are simple, but this version is complicated and that's the thing that makes it not only stand out, but puts it ahead of the rest. I also really like the songs. Like, none of the songs in Zemeckis' movie were any good. The songs in Del Toro might possibly end up being nominated for Oscars. The last thing I'll say about the differences between Zemeckis' Pinocchio and Del Toro's Pinocchio is clearly the Zemeckis version of the movie just wanted to tell the same old story and they thought they would get away with that. They thought people would say, oh, we don't care that nothing is different. We want the same old Pinocchio. Well, Del Toro's Pinocchio did something completely different than the version we all grew up with, and it was rewarded in doing so. I think these two movies are more evidence that people want to see something different than what they've seen before. They don't want to see the same old stories over and over and over again. Oscar chances. Guillermo Del Toro's Pinocchio is the heavy favorite to win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. It's one of three films I would be happy to see win the award. The other two would be Richard Linklater's Apollo 10 and a half and The Bad Guys. There's also a slim chance that the movie becomes the first animated film since Toy Story 3 to get nominated for Best Picture and you should never count out Guillermo del Toro from getting a Best Director nomination. I really am confused at the Academy's hesitancy to award the Best Picture 
to an animated film. I think there have been some recent animated movies that I think should have won Best Picture. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was one of the best animated films and one of the best movies, period, I've ever seen. And then you had Disney's Pixar Soul. That was a movie that was so deep, you can't just look past it as another kid's movie. I'm not saying you should give the voice actors for those movies awards. Like, I don't think the best actor should come from an animated movie. But I do disagree with this idea that the best movie can't be an animated one. They are also just harder movies to make. Like, this movie took years and years to get to the finish line. Overall, when you watch Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, you can tell all the people who made it were passionate about it. It wasn't just made to get kids to watch. It's one of the most thoughtful adaptations of the fairy tale. It's both somber and hopeful at the same time. It's imaginative and full of wonder. I just think there's been this thought out there that we've seen the best that animation has to offer. And I grew up in the 90s, which was the golden age of Disney animation, where you had The Lion King, you had Aladdin, the list goes on and on. But I think we're seeing recently animated movies reaching new heights, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and now Del Toro's version of Pinocchio. There is still a lot left for animated films to offer us. And I would love to see Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio get a Best Picture Oscar nomination. I think it is that good of a movie. I wouldn't be mad. I do think there might be 10 better movies than it this year, but who would get upset with this movie having success? Now let's switch gears and talk about the movie Emily the Criminal. Here's a quick synopsis. Emily, in desperate need of a job to pay off her student loans, is hired to buy things using stolen credit cards. The film stars Aubrey Plaza, Theo Rossi, and Gina Gershon. Standout performances. Coming into 2022, I think a lot of us thought we had a sense of who Aubrey Plaza is as a performer. A funny, witty actress who plays oddball roles. And her two major 2022 roles are putting that idea to rest. The first one being Harper in Season 2 of Mike White's The White Lotus. In it, Plaza shares her screen time with Will Sharp, Megan Fahey, and Theo James, and Plaza's character is questioning why her husband, played by Sharp, is no longer attracted to her. Plaza has said in interviews that her character Harper is one of the most normal and like her characters she has played. And then in Emily the Criminal, as Emily, Plaza gives her most transformative role to date with the look and the voice. It was the first real time I watched a movie and sometimes forgot I was watching Aubrey Plaza. There is a strong case to be made that Plaza should receive both an Emmy nomination for season two of The White Lotus and an Oscar nomination for Emily the Criminal. I've long said Plaza is one of the best actresses working who has never been up for accolades. She likely will get an Emmy nom, but the Oscars is not likely due to the fact that there is a strong field. But my feeling on this is Hollywood should want to help turn Plaza into a star. She's interesting and very good at what she does, and she has star power. I also believe that if we were living in the early 2000s, that Hollywood would have turned her into a major comedic movie star, but those kind of movies aren't being made anymore, so instead she's doing thrillers in indies like 
Emily the Criminal. Season 2 of The White Lotus is far and away the biggest project audience-wise that Aubrey Plaza has been a part of, and I just think movies are missing the mark. They are wasting her talents. She's going to pick TV over movies because television is where all of her audience is. They know her from Parks and Rec, and now they know her from The White Lotus. Hopefully she continues to go back and forth between television and film, but I really could see movies losing someone like Aubrey Plaza, and I do think that would be a big loss because she's been really good in movies like Happiest Season, Black Bear, and now Emily the Criminal. Plaza has some really big-time projects on the way. She's starring in a Guy Ritchie movie with Jason Statham and Hugh Grant. I personally can't wait to see how she fits in a Guy Ritchie action movie. She also has Megaopolis from Francis Ford Coppola, co-starring Adam Driver and Forrest Whitaker, which is said to cost over $100 million, which Coppola himself is paying for. We've really yet to see Plaza work with an auteur filmmaker like Francis Ford Coppola. Now again, he's not in his heyday. This isn't the Francis Ford Coppola who made the Godfather films. He hasn't made a good movie in a while, probably since The Rainmaker, but I'm interested to see. I mean, it's attracted some real talent. Adam Driver is in this movie. And Plaza is going to be in the Disney Plus series Agatha Coven of Chaos with Catherine Hahn. And even if you are anti-Marvel at this point, you have to be excited by the chance to see Aubrey Plaza and Catherine Hahn together on screen. Plaza is continuing to show her range and I admire the fact that she is challenging herself. She could be the third lead of a sitcom for the rest of her career, but she doesn't want to be pigeonholed into one thing. I am curious to see if the White Lotus is going to elevate Plaza into that next level of stardom. I think it's going to get her awards consideration, but is it going to make her somebody who people are going to want to be the leads of their movies or TV shows? I'm on record and I'll continue to say it. I want Aubrey Plaza to be one of the biggest stars on planet Earth, and I think we're headed in the right direction when it comes to that. I've listened to some of the reaction of Emily the Criminal and it seems to me there's a lot of talk about whether or not this character of Emily is likable and it got me thinking how weird it is during the age of the anti-hero being celebrated like Breaking Bad or those type of shows that we still care if a female character is someone we want to root for. Let women play interesting roles. Don't let them just be the girlfriends or the wives. I think this old-fashioned idea that the hero or the lead of a movie has to be a good person is so boring. And those characters almost never end up being interesting. People, men and women, are complicated and that's what Emily is. She is a complicated character. That's what makes her interesting enough to make a movie about her. And when I hear talk about whether or not a female character in a movie is likable, I think back to two Carrie Mulligan movies that I love. And they are Wildlife, which was directed by Paul Dano, and Promising Young Woman. In both of those movies, a lot of critics had issues with the idea of, I can't root for who Carrie Mulligan is playing. And my issue with that line of thinking is you never 
never hear that when it comes to a man playing a character. Nobody had issues with Joaquin Phoenix playing a troubled Joker character, or nobody back in the day had issues with Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver or in Raging Bull, where he did some horrendous things. You should be rating these actresses on these performances, not on the likability of their characters. It is not Aubrey Plaza's job to make Emily a likable character. It's to give a compelling, interesting performance, and she does just that. Emily the Criminal, like any good thriller, has some really interesting social commentary in it. The most interesting thing being in the scene where Emily has what she believes to be a job interview, but turns out to be for an unpaid internship. And Emily, who needs money, is upset by this and makes a good point. And I love how she brings up the fact that the person who wants her to take an unpaid internship was never on one herself. This scene and the first scene of the movie, which features another job interview, are brilliant. And I think are both what the movie is truly about. How Emily has a clear-cut issue, she needs a full-time job, but the solution is not that easy. There aren't a lot of people giving her chances, and the ones they are giving, she can't really afford to take because she needs the solution to happen almost immediately. I think those are things that people have a hard time wrapping their heads around. They all think, oh, you need a job, it's so easy to do, just go out and get one. Well, it doesn't happen overnight, and this person, Emily in this case, needs the solution to occur overnight, and that just doesn't happen in today's world. So instead, she goes for a quick fix. That's why I balk about all the talk of, is this character likable or unlikable? No, she's not either of those things. She's desperate because she needs to get job to pay off her student debts. That's what she is. She is in a scenario. It's not who she is as a person that's being judged here. It's the situation that she's been somewhat put in. Overall, Emily the Criminal reminded me of a thriller you would see in the 1980s with a great central character performance that suspenseful and plot-driven, and the logic is just a little off. I've heard some complaints towards the film's ending, and my feeling is every movie does not have to make 100% total sense. They can sometimes be just popcorn entertainment, and I think in the case of Emily the Criminal, it is pure popcorn entertainment with some really good social commentary mixed in. My feeling is it's a better showcase for Aubrey Plaza than it is an actual movie. Like, I think the movie rests on Aubrey Plaza. I don't think there are a lot of people who could pull this performance off. I think she makes the movie what it is. But again, that's almost every great thriller that's ever been made. There has always been one central performance that makes the movie go. And in the case of Emily the Criminal, that's Aubrey Plaza. When you're done watching this movie, I'm sure you're going to ask yourself, would I make the same choices that Plaza's Emily makes, and we all want to believe we would make the better choice, but we'll never 100% know because we'll likely never be in this situation, and that's what's interesting about the movie and the morality about it. It's not about the likability of Plaza's Emily. It's about the situation she's in and how desperate she is to get out of it, and uh, even though we're not in the same situation she's in, I think we can all relate to the pressure she is under, whether whether it's student loans, whether it's her job, we've all been under pressure one way or another.
together. The movie is a great character study that gets right to the point, and it had some real electric moments that you don't always see from small independent movies. Plaza definitely deserves recognition for this performance. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney, and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I highly recommend you check out Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and Emily the Criminal. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking about the movies After Sun starring Paul Mescal and Emancipation starring Will Smith and Ben Foster, directed by Antoine Fuqua. So tune into that and please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you.